The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. What are the most successful change leaders of today doing that makes them stand out? Welcome to Inside Transformational Leadership. Our program is produced by the Institute for Transformational Leadership at Georgetown University. We'll explore the inner game of transformational leadership, sharing insights from renowned leaders and faculty from our world-class leadership and coaching programs. Now, from Georgetown University, here is this week's host. Good morning and welcome to our show today. I'm your host, Kate Ebner, and it's my pleasure to feature two people who have collaborated to write a book that I think is a must-read for leaders and leadership coaches alike. The book is called Language and the Pursuit of Leadership Excellence, How Extraordinary Leaders Build Relationships, Shape Culture, and Drive Breakthrough Results. And our guests are Chalmers Brothers and Vinay Kumar. Good morning and welcome. Hi, good morning. I want to say a little bit about each of you and then give you a chance to say something more about yourselves. Um, and Chalmers, I'll start with you. You've actually been a guest on our show previously um, talking about the first book that you wrote, Language and the Pursuit of Happiness. And um, your work uh, spans just about three decades, I believe, as a consultant and a coach and somebody who's been really helping organizations, helping leaders, helping people see the potential for breakthrough change in the way they approach leadership. Uh, and Vinay, um, you have collaborated on the creation of this most recent book, uh, Language in the Pursuit of Leadership Excellence. I know that your own work is as a leadership coach, um, again, as a consultant and somebody who really helps people learn and grow, um, starting with from the inside out, as we like to say at Georgetown. Um, I know that you've been a, a great collaborator and um, I was curious about that as a starting point. Um, Chalmers, I'll start with you. You previously wrote this book, Language in the Pursuit of Happiness. Now you've expanded and you've really tackled the topic of, of language and leadership. And I'm curious about what caused you to go in that direction and how, how did you bring Vinay into the picture? Well, it, it's very interesting, Kate. I've had the chance since the first book in 2005 to have conversations with literally thousands of leaders around the country. And um, after a certain period of time, certain themes started to emerge. And while the first book has been accepted and used uh, in a leadership context, it's actually a hybrid in the sense that it's very much about personal growth, personal learning, personal change, and also about leadership development and organizational performance. And the opportunity to have a much more focused offering toward many of the leaders that I was uh, able to to work with became to started percolating and I also had this realization that no matter how relevant I may think the first book might be for leadership effectiveness certain folks with the name happiness in the title they're not interested and it was interesting it was I wanted to to uh, appeal to people that I knew could benefit from this work but might not pick up 
the first book. And uh, I was very fortunate to get an email from a gentleman named Vinay Kumar out of the blue several years back, actually 2012, I believe. And he was introduced to the first book through your program, the uh, Georgetown Coaching Program, and we began a conversation that led to a tremendous collaboration, and he's become a great friend and a great collaborator and great contributor to this body of work, not just to this book, but to this body of work in general, and he's opened uh, wonderful doors and possibilities for me, starting with the community of coaches um, from Georgetown, and so uh, we worked on the book together, and it was a joy and a privilege, and we have what we now know will be a lifelong friendship. It's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That is fantastic. And Vinay, I'd love to hear your part of this story. You know, how did you, how did you come into this work with Chalmers from your perspective, and how do you, uh, you know, what drew you so strongly to it? That's a great question, uh, Kate. You know, if I think about my journey as a leader and as about a human being on this earth, and, you know, for many, many years, and as ever as I can recall, my thinking was that if things would only change on the outside, you know, bigger business, uh, bigger team, bigger, more money, and all this, though I'm not a very materialistic individual, but somehow it was always trying to change things out there. And when I got into my 50s, I had this realization that maybe what needs to change is not so much what's out there, but what's in here. You know, maybe the person that needs to change is looking at me in the mirror. And, but what do I change? And how do I make that change? And change from what to what? I didn't know. Mm-hmm. And when I came across this book in our program, Kate, it just so spoke to me, particularly when Chalmers spoke about event does not equal explanation. And when I realized I was forming interpretations that weren't very powerful at times, And when I realized that, I could begin to, on purpose, take a look at my thinking and begin to, on purpose, generate different thinking, and that has changed my life tremendously. So it was really a personal journey, uh, the reason this work so spoke to me. Wow, that's a that's a fascinating to hear about that. I, I, I'm very curious about collaborations and how they occur, and this one sounds particularly fortunate for us all. Really, um, you know, part of this book is about shaping culture, and I'm curious about this idea of shaping culture, and particularly how language or the use of language could actually shape culture. Um, Vinay, would you like to give us some thoughts about that? Sure. Uh, you know, what is culture? Culture is really the, uh, uh, the environment. It's, it says, what, how do we do things around here? You know, what is acceptable and what is not acceptable? It's the context in, within which we operate. And, uh, and, you know, if you think about it in a culture, you know, it is shaped by, you know, conversations, right, by leadership conversations. Uh, and it's conversation at a time. For example, let's say someone is in a meeting and says, I don't know. Well, how do we treat that individual? Do we treat them to make feel like, well, geez, what's, what's the matter? Or do we say, well, great, I'm so glad you spoke up. Uh, let's take a look at that. Or someone makes a mistake. You know, we're going for breakthroughs in our organization and we're getting to the next level. Things don't always go so smoothly. So when someone makes a mistake, how do we handle that? Uh, do we say, great, let's talk about it. Let's see what we can do to make it better and tap into each other's thinking. Or do we criticize? Uh, or let's say someone offers an idea. You know, do we say, uh, you know, we've, we've heard that before, we tried it, it won't work around here, or, or worse, worse even, uh, not even respond. And, you know, that impacts, you know, engagement, impacts retention or what have you. 
So I think it's really, it has a direct impact on results, Kate, uh, in terms of how people perform and how they engage in conversations and how they collaborate to produce uh, what they're charged with producing. And there's so much of the culture. You know, I, I think that it's, um, it's one of the things that uh, organizations often need help with, you know, understanding how to enliven or, or shift their culture. Um, this is a very big topic, and uh, I think you've, you've done a great job of illuminating it uh, for us, Vinay. And I'm curious about, uh, Chalmers, from your perspective, when you think about, um, can you describe a little bit for us the connection between the actual actions and, and language of people in an organization and the resulting culture? And how these two things intersect in, in, in the real world, so to speak? Absolutely. You know, one of the primary learnings in my life when I was first introduced to this body of learning years ago was that leaders get paid to have effective conversations, right? You can be a strong leader without the ability to lift 100 pounds over your head, right? You can be a powerful leader from a wheelchair. And that the actual actions of leadership have very little to do with our arms and legs, and once I saw this clearly, right, we can take a look at making a powerful declaration is a context creator, right? We create, it's not physical, but it's real. We create this space in which something, new possibility now emerges and something else goes away. And when you, we look at the actual actions of leaders and managers, they are conversational competencies. And this is important, at least in part, because the organization itself can be understood, even a manufacturing organization, can be understood as a network of conversations, a network of commitments. And Kate, it's this lens, right? It's this conversational lens to understand leadership as a set of conversational, relational, and emotional competencies, and to understand the organization itself Again, even technical organizations, even manufacturing organizations, can be understood at a foundational level as networks of conversations and networks of commitments. Well, then learning something about these actions, these conversational, not physical, actions, has a great deal to do with our ability to actually create the results, the quantitative and qualitative results that we say that we want. Mm. So to me, when we say actions... We're, we're, we're thinking almost entirely about different types of conversations and different types of language acts. You know, I, I think and talk about this quite often as I, as I work, and I, I love this idea, and I like to help people understand it, that we, we live and we lead through conversation. And, you know, you've used a specific idea linking conversation to action, which is commitments. And, you know, for those right. listening, I, I'd love to just encourage people to think about the commitments that you've made or that you are making and how you made those, you know, using language, uh, you actually assented to something, made a commitment, and in that process, moved from idea into committed action. And I think that's a, a just one kind of an example of how we, we live and lead through language. Um, uh, Vinay, I'm curious, you know, as a coach, um, how do you help people um, better understand the power of language in their leadership? You know, it's through, it's through conversations, <laughs> ironically, right? It's through, uh, it's through discussions and dialogue, and it's through workshops that we deliver, uh, you know, what we call our SOAR program, and where we talk about these distinctions about language being not just for communication, which is what most people think of uh, when I ask them the question, you know, in many different places, uh, what is language and what is for? The number one response 
is universally, no matter where I go, it's, uh, it's a tool for communication. It's a tool for describing things and labeling things. And, and, and when we talk about it and we say, well, how do, you, how do you create events in your life? How do you, for example, schedule dinner or lunch meetings or, or, or you know, sales calls or client services? And we talk about these examples. People begin to quickly realize it is through conversations and it's language being creative. For example, you know, if you say, if you want to schedule lunch on Friday, what are you doing? And someone said, uh, look at my calendar and I'm available. And uh, we say, great, let's book it. So what did we just do in language? We created something that did not exist a few seconds ago with, before the conversation. So it's really through, through these conversations, through educational programs, help people see that language is indeed creative and generative. Uh, and that's how you've been doing it. When people get it, it's a paradigm shift. They begin to be much more conscious of what they're putting out there, realizing it's not just communicating something, but it's creating something. Mm-hmm. And, that's a, and that's, a, that's a game changer. And, you know, I, I think about the quality of our conversations, you know, and, and uh, the idea that we sort of wake up in the morning without giving a whole lot of thought to the kinds of conversations we're going to have in a day and the nature of those conversations and in effect, uh, what would make each one of these important meetings or conversations um, meaningful and, and pr- producing the outcomes that we really want? And I'm so aware as I'm thinking about this and, and, of course, reading your book and thinking about the ideas that you're sharing there, that most people are continuously talking and having conversation without that awareness. Um, I would love to ask you um Chalmers, when you when you think when when you share this, you've been working with this material for a long time, um, helping people sort of wake up about the power of language. Um, and I'm, I'd love to tap back into the the first book that you wrote, "Language in the Pursuit of Happiness." Um, what to, what does language have to do with happiness? I just want to see if we can make that link too. <laughs> You know, it's interesting. Now, I define happiness not as smiling and skipping and you know, down the sidewalk and laughing, but happiness as a balanced combination of peacefulness and productivity, right? A quantitative and a qualitative dimension. And as I've worked with this, Kate, over the years, right, these two dimensions, the, the, the qualitative dimension, the mood, emotion, the, the, the subjective nature of my interior experience, and quantitative, right, my ability to actually achieve results in the real world, both of these are important. One example, it's not so difficult to be peaceful if I'm simply sitting around, not working, relaxing, enjoying my home, or you know, riding around in a boat. Or you know, That's not difficult. What's difficult is to be productive, I think, in the real world with commitments, managing commitments, and be conscious about my interior state, right? So this notion, this balance of peacefulness and, and productivity. And one of the most powerful models that Benet and I have ever been introduced to is called the Observer Action Results Model. And as we know, right, it's a foundational model. Happiness is a result, right? Quantitative and qualitative dimensions to our results. And when we talk about the impact of language, Benet mentioned event is not equal explanation, each of us is a unique observer, and each of us creates explanations out of the innumerable events of our lives very differently, of course, based on all the things that make us unique, our upbringing, our DNA, our genetic predisposition, our life experiences, but more importantly, our beliefs. As we talk about what are the most important things that shape action, which drive results, it's beliefs. And we have beliefs not just about church or religion. We have beliefs about everything. 
We have beliefs about ourselves. We have beliefs about other people, beliefs about Fords and Chevys and management and unions. And when we look at the degenerative dimension of language that Brene mentioned, right, we create out of what we speak, becoming a more powerful observer of our beliefs and taking responsibility as the author is a foundational first step toward consciously shifting actions and consciously designing results. And so as we think about the power of language, a huge amount of it comes back to self-awareness, right? We have this drawing, a big eye looking at a sick person, self-awareness, and in particular, increasing awareness in what we're up to in language, taking responsibility as the author. And that's where everything starts. But there's a foundation, a foundational distinction between events and explanations, and living with that separation is key for us. Yeah, thank you so much for for sharing that perspective and that model. I I think it's a necessary piece, actually, for those tuning in to really uh, step back a little bit and really uh, understand the responsibility that we have to understand who we are, the beliefs that we're bringing to the conversations that we have. And I think it's also very helpful just to hear you describe that model. Um, We're going to take a break in just a second here. I'm delighted that our guests today are the authors, uh, the co-authors of a book that is um, one we're passing out at Georgetown. It's called Language in the Pursuit of Leadership Excellence, How Extraordinary Leaders Build Relationships, Shape Culture, and Drive Breakthrough Results. Um, They are Vinay Kumar Chalmers Brothers. And when we come back from the break, we're going to actually dive into what you need to know, what will help you learn more about how to think about and how to use language as a leader. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Founded in 2012, the Institute for Transformational Leadership, ITL, is an international center for inquiry, research, and education about the nature and requirements of leadership in the 21st century. Our mission is to develop and sustain worldwide communities of transformational leaders and leadership coaches dedicated to awakening, engaging, and supporting the leadership required in the world today to create a more sustainable and compassionate future. We currently offer four cohort-based certificate programs, the ICF Accredited Certificate in Leadership Coaching, the Executive Certificate in Transformational Leadership, the Certificate in Health Coaching, and the Certificate in Facilitation. We also offer a range of ICF-certified advanced coach education and leadership courses for experienced leadership coaches and leaders at all levels. For more information about our programs and how to apply, Visit scs.georgetown.edu forward slash ITL. Email ITLprograms at georgetown.edu or call 202-687-7000. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. Listening to Inside Transformational Leadership, produced by Georgetown University's Institute for Transformational Leadership. 
If you have any questions or comments about our program, please send an email to itlprograms at georgetown.edu. Here again is your host. Welcome back. I'm Kate Ebner. My guest today, Chalmers Brothers and Vinay Kumar. As you know, they've written a, a terrific book, and we're talking about that material today. Uh, Chalmers is a best-selling author, a certified executive coach, and a longtime leadership development consultant. He's had more than a 30-year career with uh, Anderson Consulting and has built his career by really un- not only bringing what he's bringing to us today, but actually understanding the context in which we use this material at work. Um, Vinay Kumar is a leadership coach trained with us at Georgetown who um, is uh, making a huge difference all over the world with the leadership coaching and leadership development programs he's delivering. His primary focus is the IT and engineering sectors. He's with TO Co Corporation, which has offices in 15 countries and serves clients in over 100 countries. Together, they've collaborated to bring us this outstanding work. Um, So we want to jump back in, and I had a question, uh, Vinay, for you coming out of that first segment, and it was really about um, the idea of, I guess, starting with yourself, taking a look at yourself and being thoughtful before you speak, which is something that uh, I know is a key piece of becoming aware of language. I'm curious to hear you just reflect for a moment about um, what it really means to take a closer look at your own patterns. You know, when I think about it, Kate, I think about my home front, right, with my relationship with my wife. And how often has it happened when I think about my, you know, 34 years of marriage, you know, when, you know, there was a tense moment and, you know, some words were spoken and maybe I was a bit tense and I said something. And, you know, before I know it, I'm in the doghouse. And, uh, and I look back and say, man, I wish I hadn't said that. But, you know, once the words are out of the gate, they're out of the gate. There's not much I can do to take it back. And I can apologize and all that, but, you know, it's, it leaves an impact. So what I've learned is that is every time I'm upset or I'm tense about something, realizing language creates, I'm just holding my lips. And I can, I can share with you, it's about a whole lot more happiness and a lot more joy and relationships are much better. And, and going in and saying, geez, what is it that was causing me upset? But before I say something, think before speaking. I don't know Good. about you, but I've gotten more in trouble in times when I've said something than when I've kept quiet. <laughs> with this realization, I'm learning to be more mindful of what am I putting out there. And it has made a big difference in my relationship with my wife and my kids. I know they're talking to me again. They're saying, Dad, you're okay. <laughs> yeah, you know, Simple we all can, can learn from that. That's that's, that's a, a terrific example that I think everyone can relate to. Um, and, and I think, you know, um, Chalmers, when we think about the competencies that we need in order to lead effectively, um, in the book, the two of you posit that conversational competencies, relational competencies, and emotional competencies are more important, actually, than technical expertise or functional competencies. Could you just say a little bit about that? Absolutely. When we think about it, we can say that there are five core competencies that are required, not optional, for organizational success. And what Vinay and I talked about were functional, technical, conversational, relational, and emotional. Now, maybe there's four, maybe there's six, right? But something like this is going on. And three of the most important results that we claim leaders are about producing are relationships, culture, and execution, right? Relationship results, culture results, and execution results. And when we think about it, these are the competencies we need to produce those results. If a person that's in a position of leadership, I say it this way in a workshop, if you ever wore a hard hat and steel toe boots, you're not wearing them now, right? 
You're not wearing them now. These are the competencies that we need. The functional and technical, we claim, along with some other folks, too, these are threshold competencies, right? These are the cost of admission, the, mm-hmm. the, mm-hmm. the threshold for being in the conversation. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. what we like to say during workshops is, guys, we're not doing charm school. This is not motivational speaking. What we hope we're doing are inviting you to look at these types of competencies in our programs and strengthen these competencies and declare yourself a beginner and a learner in these competencies. So all the work that we do, we frame it as strengthening competencies, nothing else. This is the orientation. We need to strengthen these competencies. And I think that's so valuable because I know from the work that I do that when people think about... um, landing a new job or being promoted, you know, the tendency is in each of us to think that our success will depend primarily upon, am I qualified? And do I have the technical right. skills? Do I have the background? And what you're saying is that those are just the the baseline, you know, the, for the price of admission, so to speak, in other words, to qualify you for the opportunity. But your success is actually going to come from your mastery of conversational, relational and emotional competencies. Is that right? We absolutely believe that, right? What separates Mm -hmm. the good from the great, the great from the good, are these types of competencies. And we believe this. Culture eats strategy for breakfast. Mm -hmm. The the ability to create culture, not with shovels, right? We create it out of the conversations, as Renee talked about. We create it out of the conversations we require and the conversations we prohibit. But, But creating that culture, that organizational context, the older I get, Kate, the more important context is, all right? Individual yeah. context, interpersonal context, and organizational context. And we create this out of conversations. I, I, I think that's a, a, often a missing piece, you know, as we, we tend to dive into action, trying to get things right. done together, especially at our meetings, without necessarily providing enough context so that people understand why is this important? Why does it matter? You know, this perhaps links to another part of your work, which I know is helping people be better storytellers. And certainly in the storytelling process, we're actually sharing context about how did we get here or why is this so important or perhaps visionary storytelling? What will what will the end look like if we're successful? Um, and I'm, I'm curious about... You know, that phrase, we've heard it before, culture eats strategy, um, and yet so many organizations tackle strategy without realizing that they won't get too far in the execution if they haven't also attended to culture. Um, and, and I would like to ask you one more time, Chalmers, to say a little bit more about, um, okay, I, I'm a leader, I'm trying to make something happen, I need to bring people with me, um, we need a strategy, right? How should I, one, bring context and Two, um, attend to culture. You know, the most powerful culture I have ever been introduced to has a lot of names, but my favorite name is called carefrontation, right? The context of carefrontation. And what it looks like to me is the ability to speak into my concerns, right? To self disclose. And the notion is that um, self disclosure is powerful. It's, and can men call it authenticity, women call it vulnerability, but it's the same thing, right? It's how real do we want to get in the conversation. And so 
as you said that, Kate, I was thinking about, you know, what are the most challenging conversations, whether they're about strategy or whether they're about performance that doesn't equal expectation, right? Not up to standard, not up to par. The most challenging conversations, I believe, that our ability to create powerful context is more important than our ability to deliver impeccable content. Make sense? That the ability to create context as a competency is more important than being perfect with the phraseology and perfect with the delivery. And that goes mm-hmm. for a strategy as well as more informal conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, as an individual and interpersonally, this notion of carefrontation is to me one of the most powerful ways that we can look at the purposeful creation of context, especially for challenging conversations. Thank you. That's, that's a, a, a great answer, and I think gives us a lot to think about. Um, I'd like to switch gears a little bit, and um, you know, I'm sure we're going to return to this topic of competencies. is very interesting. Um, in the book, you also talk about two different kinds of learning, two types of learning: first order learning and second order learning. And you know, you say that second order learning is where transformation takes place. Would you be able to describe for us these two orders of learning and what you mean by that, Chalmers? Well, you know, when we look at the model, right, the observer action results model, it's got observer, leads to action, leads to results. If we don't like the results that we're creating, right, we have at least two options. One of them is we take another action and try again, take another action, try again, until we hopefully do produce the result that we want. This is the traditional problem-solving model. You know the expression, if you always do what you always did, you always get what you always got. That's what it's pointing to. But a more powerful type of learning is if I don't get the results I want, I can take a look at how I look at things. I can bring the observer that I am into the equation. And Chris Argyris and Robert Putnam, the inventors of this model, they labeled that second-order learning. And because I am now bringing my beliefs, my biases, my perspectives, my subjectivity, my moods and emotions, because those are now up for discussion, right? Those are now part of the conversation, that type of learning, questioning at that level, taking a look at that level, has the effect of possibly helping me grow vertically, right? Uh, Helping me see what I didn't see before and get out of my own way in ways that are literally off my radar screen if I can't do this. And so for us, when we say second-order learning, we're taking a look at how we look at things, Right? We're bringing ourselves into the equation. And the way it was taught to us is that it takes more courage, right? more courage to do second-order learning than first-order learning because now my way of being is at stake. And not so much what I'm doing, right? But now that the way that I be is I'm taking a look at it, and maybe I'm taking a look at it for the first time. And there's some trepidation in that. But whether it's in coaching or in building teams or improving organizational performance, we've discovered that that type of learning, taking a look there, if you can create a a space that's safe enough to do it, holds the possibility of, I mean, literally, without overusing the word, transformational learning, literally new possibilities. Thank you so much, Chalmers. That is a... A terrific explanation, and I think that you're right, you know, as we think about times in our lives where we have suddenly uh, woken up in some way and been able to see the same things, but in a different way, 
and as a result, new possibilities. It really does sound like that's what second order learning is all about. Vinay, I'm curious, um, you know, in your work as a coach and your own experience, how does one make that jump from being first order learner to second order learner? You know, okay, that's a great question. It's a very powerful question because what I've come to realize and experience is that's where breakthroughs happen. That's when we begin to take a look at our thinking, right? I spoke earlier about this whole idea of separating events from explanations, right? There's, there's the facts and there's the stories, uh, not fabing, but the interpretation, the explanation that we begin to form. You know, in life, there's what happened and there's what I think happened. But we don't have access to the complete objective reality of what happened because we all have unique filters. We only have access to what I think happened. In that interpretation lies some facts. There's a whole lot of assumptions and there's a whole lot of interpretation, right? Let me give you a couple examples here. Let's say I'm driving down and there's a car who comes in front of me, right? Oftentimes, the initial reaction, oh my, he just cut me off. The only fact is I'm driving, the car came in front of me and it's very possible he cut me off or she cut me off. It's very possible he didn't even see me or he's on an emergency. And when we can begin to realize that, it opens a different playing field. And let me give you an example of leadership context. You know, working with a senior leader who's a female, who's a woman, and I could see in senior meetings she was a bit tenuous. And, you know, not, I didn't see the confidence. In a private conversation, I asked her this question. I said, what is a leader to you? And how do you see yourself in relation to these other leaders that were men? And she goes to me, you know, leaders are men in suits. I said, really? And I said, how do you see yourself in relation to these other leaders? And after some pause, she goes to me, she goes, I see myself as an admin. I said, interesting. What's the fact and what's the interpretation? The only fact is she's a female and they're males. But somehow she had picked up this interpretation, some belief that leaders are men in suits. And that was driving her, how she showed up as a leader, how she conducted herself, whether she leaned in or she leaned back. You know, it really impacted it. But when she saw this idea of event, there's not equal explanation, and I'm coming from a certain set of beliefs, and gosh, am I really not men? Do I really have to wear a suit to be a leader? When she saw that, she began to shift. She began to show up differently. That wasn't overnight. It is work to change beliefs. But gradually, 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 she said, wait a minute, what I think is, is not really so. And she began to change how she showed up in meetings. And so this whole idea of separating fact from interpretations is a very powerful thing. In fact, that's what changed my life. When I began to change, see what's the fact and what's my interpretation. Because when I could see it, I could on purpose form different interpretations that opened up more possibilities, better action, and better results. It's a major game changer, Kate. Yes, I think that's a, a wonderful example, actually, Vinay. It really um, helps us understand what the power of looking with new eyes, you know, the second order of learning. Um, and, and I know we're going to be taking a break here in, in just a moment, but um, I'm, I'm curious if, um, if, Chalmers, you have a story about someone making the same leap. And we, we only have a, a, probably 30 seconds, but just an example of someone waking up, in effect, and then seeing a new possibility. Well, I can speak about myself. I mean, okay. when I was first introduced to this body of learning, 
I, I thought that I was basically objective, right? That unless I was obviously manic on the ceiling or obviously in a puddle of depression on the floor, I was basically objective. And it was a big, big shock to me that, along with everybody else, I'm constantly, as Vinay talks about, I'm interpreting, right? I, I don't have access to the way anything is. I have access to the way it is for me. And second-order learning is only possible with that acknowledgement, right? If I think I'm seeing things like it is, then there's nothing to do. I'm paralyzed. But I can say, Kate, this was in 1987, my first introduction to this work, and I got a big, gigantic hit of my inherent subjectivity. And I guess nobody teaches us this in school. At least I never got taught this in Mm -hmm. school. But mm-hmm. I now believe this. I believe what we need is a middle school course on the on the planet around the world called subjectivity. I really do. I love this idea. We're going to take a break <laughs> with that great idea on the table. We'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to Inside Transformational Leadership from the Institute for Transformational Leadership at Georgetown University. I'm Kate Ebner, and we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Founded in 2012, the Institute for Transformational Leadership, ITL, is an international center for inquiry, research, and education about the nature and requirements of leadership in the 21st century. Our mission is to develop and sustain worldwide communities of transformational leaders and leadership coaches dedicated to awakening, engaging, and supporting the leadership required in the world today to create a more sustainable and compassionate future. We currently offer four cohort-based certificate programs, the ICF Accredited Certificate in Leadership Coaching, the Executive Certificate in Transformational Leadership, the Certificate in Health Coaching, and the Certificate in Facilitation. We also offer a range of ICF-certified advanced coach education and leadership courses for experienced leadership coaches and leaders at all levels. For more information about our programs and how to apply, visit scs.georgetown.edu forward slash ITL. Email ITLprograms at georgetown.edu or call 202-687-7000. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. Listening to Inside Transformational Leadership, produced by Georgetown University's Institute for Transformational Leadership. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please send an email to itlprograms at georgetown.edu. Here again is your host. Welcome back. I'm speaking today with Chalmers Brothers and Vinay Kumar. We're talking about the book that they've written. This is a, a book that. Um, 
will really help you think about how you build relationships, how as a leader you're shaping culture, and how you could use language to drive breakthrough results, really to transform your results. So uh, Vinay and and Chalmers and I have been having a wide-ranging discussion, really uh, touching on many of the subjects that have been written about in much more depth in their books. I'd love to just um, pick up with a quote um, from a TED Talk that you gave, Chalmers, and your quote was, if language is a tool, it's a tool we can't put down. I love that quote, and I want to hear you describe a little bit about what you meant by this. Well, you know, it, it, it speaks to, Kate, the notion of the little voice. Uh, in workshops, I asked people, I said, who here in this room has the little voice inside? You know, the one that says, what's he talking about? That's what I'm talking about, right? That's the one. And I ask people, who has a debate team, right? Many hands go up. And so this notion, language is a tool, is a tool that we can't put down, speaks to, we live in language. We live in language. There's a quote attributed to Mark Twain, I think, that says it great. He says, I'm always in conversation, and sometimes other people are involved, right? <laughs> and, so, and so this is us. This is us. And when we take a look at that, Language is a tool, it's a tool that we can't put down, and we couple this with the notion that we create out of what we speak, then what we can see is that we're always creating or generating something. It just may or may not be what we say we want. So part number one of this is because this tool is with us, that really we cannot put this tool down. We live in language, and we're always creating. Let's pay attention to the non-physical but very real results we're creating. The other dimension is, it means unless I get quiet, language is a tool, it's a tool that we can't put down unless we purposefully create a practice of silence. And now we're talking about mindfulness, we're talking about meditative practices, we're talking about silence. And as we know, right, mindfulness in the workplace is much, much Uh, more visible. There's many more programs, outstanding programs, I believe, to help us try to get out of language a little bit and to give ourselves a break. And so when we say we we can't put this tool down, I really mean we can't put it down without purposeful, conscious practice. And whether it's a meditative practice or a yoga, or some people find it with a fly rod in their hands. But I now believe that there is a power available to us by getting out of language, by periodically giving it a rest. And I now think in terms of external focus, yes, and also internal focus, external and internal. And we could think of cycles or seasons or rhythms or a cadence. But the older I get, Kate, the more I believe that this tool, that a purposeful practice of trying to put it down, giving ourselves a little bit of silence, is a fantastic avenue toward emotional health, and I think it's also good for decision-making and allowing ourselves to be present and grounded with people in the most important conversations that as leaders we need to have. Thank you for that. I'm just so struck by this um, advice about learning how to put the tool of language down and giving yourself the space, and Benet, that connects me back to your story about learning how to say nothing instead of everything that comes to your mind <laughs> in your example at home. And, um, and I, I, find it, um, I find it interesting and fascinating, really, that the antidote to our, our mastery of language, in a way, the balancing point might actually be 
our silence, our reflection, our listening, um, some of the quiet pieces that uh, enable us to speak more thoughtfully. Um, you know, I, you both have done a great job of illustrating your ideas using your own lives and your and ex- examples from your own lives. And I'm wondering, um, Vinay, if you can tell me about a time when language has made a big difference for you. A time when, whether it was something someone said to you or a conversation or something that you said to someone else or heard yourself saying in a conversation. Uh, so many, so many examples come to mind. You know, uh, one I shared with you earlier is that just learning when to not say anything at all. I remember a quote many years ago that it takes a, about two years to learn to speak. It takes a lifetime to learn what not to speak, and that matters because it created power and generated power of language. And, um, and in terms of a conversation, I remember a leader, he was a finance division, and, you know, very much into getting things right the first time. And as a result, making decisions and, t- and taking action was agonizing for him. And oftentimes, decisions would not get made and things would not move forward. Now, I'll share an example from his personal life because I think we can, many can relate to that. You know, his lifelong dream was to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. And it was always when I get everything right, when I get everything perfect, I'll do it. Well, you know, it just didn't happen. He's in his 50s. It's not happening. We're having conversations about, you know, how about making a declaration that by September of 2000, this was back in 2014, I want to make a trek to Mount Kilimanjaro. And then I get into preparation. Then I get into doing, you know, the getting into physical fitness. And it was a slight shift in thinking, meaning internal conversation. And he did that. And you know what? I get an email from in October, and I get some pictures saying, you know, Vinay, I fulfilled my lifelong dream of climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. Yay! And I gave him so much confidence. And the next year, he goes with his son. He's building that relationship. And that's showing up in terms of confidence. It's showing up in his work, how he's making decisions in the absence of incomplete information, which, as we know, nowadays is so critical. And it was just through conversation that, shift in thinking, the slight shift in thinking made a diff, big difference in terms of how he shows up as a leader, how he shows up as a dad, as a husband, major, major changes. These aren't big changes we're talking about. We're often talking about just a slight shift in internal dialogue in our thinking. But that little tiny shift makes a big difference cumulatively over time. It all Thank happens you. in language. It really does. It really does. Um, Chalmers, how about you? Can you think of a time when Language has made all the difference. Absolutely. In fact, you mentioned my TED Talk. I made... I made with a, a, an informal peer group that I'm part of, uh, where I live in Naples, Florida. At the end of 2012, beginning of 2013, we all set goals. I made a public declaration that I'm going to do a TED Talk. Right. So this is the beginning of 2013. At our meeting uh, in July of that year, one of my colleagues said, Hey, man, um, you know, how's that goal coming? You know, the TED Talk goal. Silence. Right? I'm like, I hadn't done anything. I hadn't done anything. But what it spoke to was it got me out of my chair, and it speaks about accountability. And so one of the most powerful conversations, I'm so thrilled now that I did the, the uh, talk, very happy. And I know that had he not said something to hold me accountable, I'm not sure it would have happened. And furthermore, had I not enrolled him in what I was up to in conversation, it may not have happened. And so we can talk about private goals and public goals. And we know this. 
Everybody has set private goals, and some of us have set public goals. And when you ask people which is more likely to happen, almost always it's the public goals. And, and so as I think about it, Kate, you know, one of the most fun events of my life, I'm not sure it would have happened had I not made a public declaration in a context of carefrontational accountability and had my friend not brought it up, not initiated the conversation, you know, checking with me about my progress on my goal. And it's made a huge difference in my life. Thank you. That's a, that's a, another great example. And, um, you know, I like the, the example in the sense that it really shows us the power of, um, sh- you know, as you said, sharing, sharing what I really want, saying it out loud to somebody else, which then creates the opportunity for that other person to ask about it and in that way hold you accountable for something you said you really wanted. And it just doesn't happen if we keep it all to ourselves. Um, and Absolutely. I think I think that's a terrific um, insight for for all of us. I'm I'm curious when you think about the book you've written and the fact that it's now out in the world being used many different ways by organizations and individuals. What are the most important takeaways that you hope your readers get from reading the book? I'll let you each answer that, starting with you, Benet. Sure. One is, of course, uh, we've been talking about it, Kate, that is language being creative and generative. And to me, a big learning is to really take a look at our interpretations, right? We, everything we create in life begins with a thought, and the thought lives in language. And so, you know, what stories am I creating? What stories am I living in? And what declarations am I making or am I not making? And, and taking a look at the interpretation I'm forming and on purpose begin to take a look at different ways of looking at things and different interpretation to me is a, is a big life changer. It's a big, uh, so really separating facts from interpretations, events from explanations, and on purpose forming different interpretations because when we do that, it opens up a whole different set of possibilities and different set of actions and brand new breakthrough results. So language being creative and also just looking at our interpretation we're living in and on purpose form different ones that can better serve us. Those are major learnings for me and that's made a big difference in my own life and in lives of those who are learning this work. Thank yeah. you for that. That's, a, that, that's, a, that's an excellent thing for people to, to be thinking about and taking and you know you've said it a couple different times and I, I think that sometimes hearing how important that is helps us focus on what to take even from a conversation like the one we're having right now so thank you for that Thomas how about you what would you like people to take from reading this book well you know it's very similar but I have to say this I made uh, at the Vinay's uh, encouragement a public <laughs> declaration about two years ago that I want to shift the consciousness of one million people I want to shift the awareness of one million people while I'm on this planet. And so for me, it's self-awareness. It's this increase in self-awareness that leads to more choice, more awareness of my own inherent subjectivity. And clearly, as Vinay pointed to, that the conversations we live in are not passive and descriptive. We create out of what we speak. And it's this self-awareness that I am indeed the author of my life, because the interpretations, the explanations, the beliefs, all of which live in language, those shape my external actions, which, of course, drive my quantitative and qualitative results. And my mission on this planet is to help people be aware of that, to be more conscious of the separation between events and explanations, to take responsibility as the author, because I really believe this body of work that we're now sharing can be part of an emerging common sense. 
right? We live in an interconnected world, a intercultural world, a multicultural world, and separate from effectiveness in organizations, I believe that there's value and impact and benefit of sharing these ways of thinking in our not only our most intimate and important personal relationships, but in our intercultural relationships. And so you know, part of the, the pebble in the water that I want to throw, the ripple I want to create, is increasing the awareness of this body of work, this way of thinking, on how we relate to people who are different than we are. I'm so glad that you shared that. And you do realize, don't you, Chalmers, that you just invited us all to be your accountability partners as we heard <laughs> Fantastic. you say that. <laughs> and you've given us that, that story previously. So, But that's... Um, <laughs> That's amazing to think about that. And, and so, you know, as, as we all are working with and reading the book, um, and, and I think it's a, a, a very likely that those of us who are following this work and working with these ideas will begin to really understand how to shift our own consciousness, to use your words, and to see differently, to move yep. from first-order learning to second-order learning, as we've been talking about here today. Um, we're just a moment or two away from um, the end of the show. How can people uh, learn more about you and the work that you do? I'm not sure whether you uh, do this work together or ind- individually, but Chalmers, how can people reach you? They can reach me at uh, chalmersbrothers.net. And Vinay and I do work individually. We also do work together. Uh, if they're interested on, on the website, there is a Train the Trainer event, Kate, coming up in December for leaders at all levels. And so if they're interested in learning more about this firsthand, Vinay and I will be co-leading the workshop. And we would love to have any of the listeners who are interested to reach out to me and or Vinay and um, you know, learn from us, be with us uh, for these three days in December. It'd be fantastic. But it's chalmersbrothers.net. And the TED Talk is, if they Google Chalmers Brothers TED, it'll pop up. Great. Vinay, anything additional? Uh, reach out to me at vinay.kumar at teoco.com, T-E-O-C-O.com. And um, I love talking about this work. I love sharing this work. For me, this is my declaration. This is what the rest of my life is about, is sharing this body of work. And I really, truly believe that the more people come into contact and work with this work, which is simple but not easy, and yet it's so worth it, it'll make our world a tremendously better place. Mm. Absolutely. I want to thank you both for the time you've given today to be with us and to share your work. We sure do appreciate it. Thank you and have a great week. Thank you for joining us this week on Inside Transformational Leadership. Please tune in for another edition next Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our programs, please visit scs.georgetown.edu forward slash ITL. We'll talk again next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. 
The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 